morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you again. Um, I uh, am excited about what God shared last week here at the church when Betty shared about uh, some of the vision that the Lord has given us, a calling that he's given us as a church. Uh, you, you really need to know this about me, that those things completely drive me. I am, I am completely driven by my perception of what, uh, and my, my conviction of what the Lord has called us to do and be. And you also need to know, I don't necessarily differentiate, at least not very well, between myself and the community of believers I walk with. I, I see us as one. And so, and so, when I ha have embraced and when I have experienced and we have had words from the Lord uh, about the purpose, the plan of God for this faith community, uh, it, it energizes me. It gives me life. And, and it, makes, it makes transformation important to me. It makes relationships important to me. It makes getting things right important to me. Things matter beyond the circumstances of the moment to me. Life changes because these things are stuck in my heart and in my head. And they're the things I dream of. And so as the Lord has uh, begun to address these things, and I think making us a people of that kind of substance, a, a world-changing people, I can tell you that along the way, the Lord has is, is, is shown me, uh, and I've shared with many of you in a dream, uh, that I wasn't really ready for that. And, and, and waking up, I was very disturbed because I didn't know what else I could really do to be more ready for what the Father is doing. But I said, make me ready then. Because I want to walk out and to fulfill every dream he has for my life. I want to run the race I was intended to run. I, I'll take that race no matter how good or bad it is, over anything I can generate on my own. And that is my passion. It is my conviction that every believer should have just such a passion. And as the Lord, even over the last years, has brought, over the last year, has brought great transformation in my own heart, my own soul, I know it's just the beginning. And, and, now, I'm not weary of it. I'm not struggling with it. I'm excited with it. And, it. and it drives and motivates me everywhere I go. So the people of God should be a people of the calling. We should all operate in that context. I want to read something that we discovered in the Southwest uh, Airlines magazine. This is a little, not an, it's an unintended plug for Southwest Airlines. I, I think they do all things well. I think they do all things well. I think their customer service is exemplary. I mean, when, I, when the other airlines, when I have to change my ticket, it costs me 150 bucks plus the additional cost. And when you're traveling in our circles, you're doing what we're doing, like our airline tickets that we just had for this, I had to change them three times in two weeks. 
you know, do the math. That's $450 in change penalties with another airline. Southwest, it cost me $40 on a ticket change. And we were even changing them at the last minute. And I looked at my phone when I called, and I made this, I made this call from Mexico at about midnight from Mexico City. I said, I need to change my ticket to the first thing in the morning from, from tomorrow night. I looked at my phone afterwards. It took four minutes. No money, four minutes. See, they're in that business to help me succeed. To help me travel and for my travel to be on their shoulders and not mine. I want to read something to you out of their magazine. Through regular surveys, we ask our employees how they view their role at Southwest Airlines. This is the uh, uh, president speaking, or the uh, CEO. And it brings me immense pride to report that more than 70% say they consider it a calling. Not a job, not even a career. They consider it a calling. And I thought about that, and I thought, how many people in the church are comfortable saying it's a calling? It's not just an obligation. It's not something I should do, I'm supposed to do. It's, it's not something that I walk out because my family does or because I have this faith or because I feel guilty if I don't. It's a calling. Because people who operate out of calling are different. People who operate out of calling, it, when they get that 50th phone call at midnight from Mexico City, they take care of it in four minutes because it's a calling. I often am concerned that the church has lost the measure of what a calling feels like. Or we've reduced it to you know, making sure everybody hears the gospel before uh, the world explodes or whatever your particular belief of the end times is. But the truth is we are a people of calling. Week before last, I shared this idea of the trust that the stuff that dreams are made of. And we looked at uh, Romans chapter 4 where it talked about Abraham believed God. Uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 1, when, What then shall we say that Abraham our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered this matter? He discovered something. If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And we talked about this, that this relationship, it, it, what it did is it restored the relationship. But but we often miscue this. We misunderstand this, that, that somehow sins were forgiven and, and that's what he was after. But that isn't what he was after. That isn't what God offered him. Hey, trust me and I'll forgive all your sins. That wasn't the conversation. The conversation was follow me. And Betty shared last week how that, how that message grew before him, but it grew as he followed God. He said, it said, um, leave everything behind and follow me. 
That's still the call. Leave everything behind and follow me. You see, faith is trusting God and following him. Romans 4, 4 through 6, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their works, not because of something they have done, but because of their faith in God. Romans 4, 13, clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based on his obedience to God's, not on his obedience to God's law, but on a relationship, a right relationship with God that comes by faith. This is a statement in the New Testament. And it shows this alteration. It shows how in the Old Testament, something strangely wonderful and bizarre happened. That way back in Genesis 12, something happened between God and a man. Between the creator and a human. Something happened. It was something amazing and wonderful and beyond anything that was written or understood. And that is they became friends because the human trusted God again and followed him. And their relationship was put back together. And the crimes of Abraham's life were put aside for this relationship. You see... What the New Testament is telling you and I here, what we can wrestle with is that the right relationship, a right relationship with God solves everything. It addresses everything. It puts everything in the perspective that will make your life succeed. Without that right relationship, everything goes wrong. And when I say right relationship, I want you to understand, I am not saying your sins are forgiven. I'm saying you're in right relationship. I'm saying you're in a right state. You're walking with God in a relationship. It is in that context that this will make everything in life come into order. Abraham believed God. He left his own ambitions, his hopes, his plans, his dreams, his purpose, all these things, and he held out that God had a greater story. God's story was a greater story. And Abraham left the story of his flesh. He left the story of his lost soul, and he joined the story of God where Abraham's story was already written. Do you see that? Does that make sense? That our story is written in God. Our story is a part of his story. And when we leave what we have, when we leave the best of what we've created, we're leaving nothing compared to the story that was already written for you and I. That's the calling. Because in that story, in that calling, everything happens. We are called into this friendship between God and man. James 2.23, it expands on this thing about Abraham. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. That is a powerful statement. I, when I talk to Christians all the time, you know, and I've asked questions that, trying to really root into how they feel about their relationship with God. Do you think God considers you his friend? I, I hope so. I don't know. 
Do you consider God your friend? I, I don't know that God can be a friend. I don't know that that's supposed to be how it works. I mean, he's God, he's creator, he's Jehovah Jireh, he's all these other titles. But you see, look at the scripture and what you see is that the new title, the one that is proposed out of the new covenant that was initiated, inaugurated in this amazing thing in Genesis is friend. The one who walks with you. John chapter 15, verse 16, uh, 15 and 16. I no longer call you servants. This is Jesus speaking. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. You see, it's being said again. You see, the scripture sets the stage for not a religious relationship of performance and judgment. It sets, a, 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 sets the stage of a relationship between God and mankind. An authentic, ongoing, genuine, touchable, tangible relationship. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you. I want you to hear that for yourself this morning. I want you to just think about this idea that when we come to Christ, we often feel like, well, I, I chose to change my life. I, I chose a new Lord. I chose. But what we need to understand is we were the one that were chosen. We were chosen. To be his friend. But I chose you and I appointed you. Said that you might go and bear fruit. So the calling is a calling into friendship. It's a calling into a trust friendship. And it is a friendship that will produce life. It says fruit that will last. It produces a God quality life. That's what it produces. You see your calling? But only the relationship does that. It's not your knowledge. It's not your skills. It's not your gifts. What produces the life is the relationship. And if we try to develop our, our, our connection with God around our ability to do um, worship, our ability to do uh, disciplines, our ability to sacrifice, our ability to suffer, our ability to do service, you will not produce life. Because that is not the origin of life. The origin of life is a relationship with God. That's the origin of life. See, I love it. I can talk like this to you guys, you know? You guys aren't, you know, freaking out on me here. At least not externally. You see, it's because of this relationship like this. It's because when we are walking in this relationship with Jesus, that's like this. When we are connected moment by moment, day by day, when we are connected in voice and in style and in capability and in thought, he says, in that place, 
You can ask whatever you want. That's his entire goal. His goal is that we would be in a place in that relationship, in that friendship. You speak your mind. We are called as friends. Gets better. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. For those who have been led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God. And we are co-heirs with Christ. We are called into friendship. And that friendship leads us into sonship and daughtership. And God makes it clear his desire is to not withhold in this relationship. But to be transparent in this relationship. To let this relationship produce life. And for us to grow in who we are. To be like Jesus. What you will find when you begin to explore the New Testament. Here's what you will find. First and foremost in the call. We are called to follow. We are called to follow. When you look at Matthew, when you look at all the disciples, what, what you see is the first thing Jesus says to them is, follow me. That's what he says. He's, it's not really a long litany. He doesn't give them a lot of uh, perks. Hey, follow me and I'll cut you a deal of this. Follow me and you'll get this. Follow me and this is going to be good for you. I've got a great employee plan. No, he just says, follow me. That's all he says. Now, here's what happened in those cases. They left everything they had, and they followed him. The same thing Abraham did. And they became a people of purpose, and the people of a call. They became a people where their life took on a totally different meaning than the substance of normal humanity. John 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 10, 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. John 12, 26. Whoever serves me must follow me. You get the picture? You see, the key to staying in that friendship is to stay with him, to follow him. Following him is a real and it's a tangible thing we do. We follow him. 
Following is to set our story aside for his story. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. He begins to describe this paradigm, how it works. He begins to show you why faith is such a critical component of following him. He begins to show you that the unseen has to be something you are willing to act on. These are the people of God. This, this is the baseline of the people of God. This is the starting point of the people of God. This isn't the apostles. This is the starting baseline for people who call Jesus Lord. We follow. We, we focus on the things that he puts before us, whether they're visible or not, whether they're possible or not, whether they're current or not. All those words become less important to us because we are a people with a call. In our relationship, we have this calling in his story. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1, as a prisoner, man, I'm going fast, huh? What's that? I'll drink to that. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. People should be able to see your calling. We should not only say, yes, I'm a person with a calling. We see our faith as a calling. We see our purpose and the plan for our life as a calling. But it should be evident in our life. We are called. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. It's giving us some real feel there for what it would look like to be in his story. It will be demonstrated with humility and gentleness and patience, putting up with one another, the difficult and the easy. Keeping unity. There is one body, one spirit, just as we are called to one hope when you were called. And Jesus, uh, not Jesus, I'm sorry. And Paul offers this prayer for the called in Ephesians 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly realm. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. That's the power that supports and raises and powers your friendship. I, um, in my conversations over the last couple of months, um, as I've wrestled with really how does this, how does this work? And my own story when God says, you're not ready, and I thought, you know, if I really ramp up, if I throw everything I got at it, I might increase my game 5%. I, I, I might. For how long, I don't know. But I, I can throw everything I got and I can try. But some t- somehow I knew that I wasn't missing 5%. Something, something was intrinsically wrong. Something was foundationally wrong with my game. But I knew that the Lord would not say that without having something for me. And that's when he gave me the message, it's been months ago, about the moment. That whoever owns the moment owns you. And I began to realize that I can lose my temper here. I can say the wrong thing here. I can act out over here in these little moments. He can just be brief, real small. But I'm giving up critical moments. I'm giving up moments that need redemption. You see, it's like, it's like a license to sin, isn't it? I'm just going to step into the Old Testament for just a minute. I'm going to step out of, my, out of my friendship with Jesus for just a minute because I'm angry, I'm upset, there's an injustice. I began to realize how many of those there were. And I began to realize that, you know, once a day you try to clean it up. Oh, sorry about that, God. Oh, help me with that, God. Oh, you know, I hope you do something to him, God. I mean, you, it's like prayer time is, is kind of reviewing the mess. But you see, that's not following Jesus. That's not what it looks like to follow him. That's living my life and then going and talking to him about it Whenever I have enough guilt, I have enough weariness, I have enough fear, I have enough anger, whatever it is that motivates me to come to the cross, it's at that moment. But it wasn't in the moment where it was alive and where I needed to be transformed. You know, in the, in the past, in the church, we had a term called indulgences. You could buy them. Basically, it's a waiver for sin. We do that all the time. You know, I kind of lost my temper, but that guy, he deserved it. You hear what I just said? Yeah, I, I moved into the flesh. I stepped away from following Jesus, but it was appropriate. It was a context where it made sense. It was almost like this. I think Jesus would approve. But you see, that's not my calling. 
It's not, it's not, my friendship is not at work in me there. And then it gets worse. I began to realize, because actually I have very few outbursts and acting out that you would see. You know, I, I, haven't, I haven't flipped somebody off in 40 years or 50 years or something. I don't know. But what do we do in our mind? What do we do with our heart? What do we do with our emotions and our feelings? And all of a sudden you realize, yeah, I'm not acting out where somebody can see me. But there's plenty here that's operating in a way that's not following Jesus. This was the beginning of my journey in understanding a walk that's in the moment and understanding how many times I trade my transformation for an indulgence. How many times I allow something illicit because it seems like it's deserved by me or someone else. It can even be something like doubt, fear. Doesn't have to be toward another person. I can hate me. I can be afraid. I can be angry. I can be angry with me. I can be angry with God. I can lose my hope. I can do all those things. And I can allow myself to be hopeless. But what it says here is I'm called to hope. Do you know what says that? I'm called to hope. I'm called to joy. I'm called to peace. I'm called to these things. They're part of my calling. That makes sense if I walk with Jesus, doesn't it? Now, if I visit Jesus once a day in the morning, and maybe if I'm really spiritual, 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes at night, you know, we talk over some things, at least the ones I remember. I read a chapter in the Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, and a proverb, you know, ask God to bless my family and my friends. Give me some, give me some you know, wisdom on a job or something like that, and then I check out. But that's not what friends do. That's not how friends live together. So here's the paradigm shift. Uh, Carlos? The, the punchline is uh, in the other room. But we will have it shortly. I, I have found that the, the thing God was after with me, the thing God was after, 
It's nothing about my behavior. It's about my heart. It's about him wanting to really change who I am so that my actions come from my heart. Not from my knowledge of what he wants me to do, but it comes from my heart. You hear the distinction? You see, the friendship, he wants it to have the effect on me that begins to change how I see things, and I begin to respond like he responds from my heart. I want to Forgive me, I was, I, I, sh, I meant to have this queued up and I didn't. I'm going to read you a little something. This is out of a book called The Truth About Lies and the Lies About Truth. All throughout the New Testament, we see glimpses, even panoramic paintings, of a life filled with the Spirit of God. That trust in him seems as natural as breathing. Where healing our soul is a common as waking up in the morning and victory over sin is our normal Christian experience. Here's just one example. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. From his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. What an amazing promise, and only one of many, Jesus has quite a bit to say about the kind of life his followers would have. He promised us an abundant life, John 10, rest for our souls, Matthew 11, and that he would be with us and reveal himself to us so that we would never be alone. John chapter 14. From a treasure in a hidden field to an abiding in him, Jesus describes life with God in terms that were almost too good to be true. And that is not the end of it. But it seems like we struggle year after year with the same old sins. We've hauled around emotional wounds that never seem to heal. And we rarely see any real change at all, except that which comes from getting older. It says, why is that? Why did Jesus and the New Testament writers give us a hope that so many of us never seem to find? How is it that we have missed the abundant life. We go to conferences, we read the latest books, we pray until we can't pray anymore. 
Still we are haunted by the thought, surely there has to be something more. Here's his comment. What if the main reason we have so much difficulty experiencing life as described in the New Testament is because we have been misled on how it all happens? What if God never really intended for us to try our best to live up to his standards? Because we can't. What if transformation does not come from trying hard to be different, but rather being different comes from transformation? What if we have it backwards? What if God could change us more and more into the kind of people who live the abundant life by the virtue of our transformed character. <laughs> you see, his point is, what if our doing, our trying hard, our working in our willpower, what if all of those things were never intended to make us the people of God? What if our best efforts, our best pursuits were never the vehicle that was there for our transformation to be realized and the abundant life to be received and experienced? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, Sanctify you through, uh, through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So all this that you're called to about being blameless and being whole in spirit, and he says, that's my job. Or 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. With verse 11, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. Who is going to do this? It says God is. May God make you worthy of the calling. May it be by his power that the fruit comes in your life. He does it. He is the one who brings the change in you and I. Not me. Not you. We have no ability to bring that change. We can manage our behavior. But we can't change ourselves. 2 Timothy 1, starting in verse 9. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our, our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Not because what we have done, but because of his own purpose and his own grace, these things will be realized.
What if this was always his design? That our part is to follow him. Our part is to connect with him. That's our part. That's my part. That's your part. That's my whole part. Follow him. Wherever he leads, whatever he says, just hang with him. And, you, and what the scripture says is that walking with him, you know, I, I don't care how many mistakes you make. I'm saying walking with him is what begins to change us. It's walking in the moments, in and out, the small moments, the big moments. It doesn't matter. But in those places along the way, we become different. In those places along the way, we are changed. We are a, a people of calling. We are a people that Jesus has placed on us. I have about six more pages. We're not going to do them. I, I feel like this is the stopping point. It's good stuff, but it's not for today. Might not ever be, but... In the moment, Jesus wants to be your friend. He wants to be the one you talk to. He wants to be the voice in your head and in your heart. It's still the same model. Abraham left all the other things. And he walked with God. And it changed him. David walked with God. They were people that lived in their dream of their purpose. The church and I'll probably talk about it next week. The church has given us, the God has given the church a powerful role of purpose. But it must begin with we are the people of God. That we make a firm commitment. That we're going to follow. We're going to be that people. And we're going to understand that the change that we cannot make in ourselves, the anger that you can't get over, the codependencies that you struggle with, the addictions that rule your life, the anger that is never too far below the surface, your depression, your anxiety, your loneliness, these are all elements that need transformation. These are the places where we walk our life out with Jesus. 
we let his voice and his presence by the Spirit change us. One small event, one small moment at a time. This is the calling. It's the first of our calling. Jesus is saying to you and I this morning, follow me. Follow me. I don't care about your past. I don't care about your personality, your flaws, your inner vows, your weaknesses, your strengths. I don't care about your resume. I don't care about your education. I have one concern today. Would you like to follow me? Do you want to walk your purpose for life out with me? He stands ready today, unconditionally, to hold hands with his friends and say, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And I will be somebody that changes everything you are. If you would stand.